Are you guys ready up there? Hello and welcome to the Women in Film and Television Ireland podcast. My name is Fiona Kinsella. I'm a producer and Women in Film and Television board member. This year at Catalyst International Film Festival, the Writers Guild of Ireland hosted a very special panel discussing the importance of the short film script as a calling card and how writers can break through into longer forms. Hello everyone. Welcome to this afternoon's screenwriting panel. My name is Jennifer Davidson. I am the chair of the Writers Guild of Ireland as well as being a screenwriter myself. And the Writers Guild are delighted uh, to be in partnership with Catalyst um, on the Short Screenplay Award. It's one of our favourite things that we get to be involved in every year. So a huge thank you to Catalyst um, and to Susan and her team for having our involvement as well as this incredible panel sitting on either side of me today we also have in the front rows the shortlisted screenplay writers for the short screenplay awards (laughs) and i can't wait to see what happens for all the shortlisted uh, writers this year so now we'll get on with the panel so we have sinead colopy ken harman Robert Higgins and Ashling Walsh uh, joining us here today. And so really, we want to talk about writing, about writing as a career, about how we have, I guess, developed um, our careers, where we started, where we've got to, where we want to go from here, to, I don't want to say give advice to the writers in the room, because everyone's journey is unique and everyone's journey is their own journey, But I really feel, and particularly with my Writers Guild hat on, that the more we talk about how we navigate our careers and the more we kind of dismantle the idea of being a writer, which can feel quite alien and quite hard to kind of even know. I always say when people ask me, you know, how I became a writer, I was like, well, I graduated from college and I looked in the Irish Times and there were no job ads going (laughs) screenwriter wanted. Uh, So I went and worked in documentaries for 10 years. But, you know, it's really to demystify the industry and to give a sense of what having a career as a writer can be like. So my first question, I'm going to start with Sinead. What is your typical writing day? Or actually, is there such a thing as a typical writing day? Okay. I guess my journey into screenwriting was quite different from a lot of people, probably most people on the panel. Um, I'm 20 years working in child protection services. So that's what my qualification was, working with children in the care system, um, funding projects for children around the country, worked in Cork and Limerick and overseas. And I only, I kind of had a Joan of Arc moment when I was turning 40. And uh, <laughs> a Joan of Arc moment, or some people said a midlife crisis. I don't know, I prefer Joan of Arc, whatever. Um, and I suddenly realized that I kind of spent my whole life being surrounded by stories but, um, and I was always verbally telling them, but I never wrote them down. And when I thought back to what I liked to do when I was a teenager, I was always writing stories. And my English teacher, who was very inspirational, sort of, you know, I found a, a ledger of all my stories from uh, Leavencert. And she said, you know, never stop writing. You create amazing worlds. And I said, God, I'm going to set myself a challenge that before I turn 40, I'm going to learn how to write a script. And that was all I wanted to do, was just to learn how to write one script. I had no idea how I was going to do it. Um, and now four years later, I'm a full-time writer. Um, so how that happened, I just don't 
No, I'm still going, how the hell did that happen? So I have just um, taken a career break from Two Slab because I was writing by night and at weekends and pulling 40-hour weeks in child protection. And I have three kids under 10, so it just wasn't um, healthy. Um, so I'm writing mostly for TV, so I've written on Smother, I'm written on Hidden Assets, which we're shooting at the moment, which is a BBC4 and Saffron production. Um, I'm doing, um, co-writing a book adaptation with Anonymous Content, who are a big American company, um, and Wild Atlantic Productions as well in Ireland, so we're co-writing that book at the moment for TV. Um, and my own TV drama, Every Five Miles, was aired as part of Storyland on RTE, and we're working that into a full series now in collaboration with some UK broadcasters, maybe, possibly, can't say any more than that, or I'll be killed. Um, but my passion was features. I never wanted to write TV, <laughs> ever. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I wanted to write a film, and I just accidentally got into it. But my day is I am obsessed with writing. I The minute the children go out the door to school, the minute I'm back, um, I, the laptop is open, and I could happily stay there at that laptop and never leave it um which is very unhealthy and physically it's not very good I put on piles of weight with writing I wrote because I was writing at night so my writing hours were nine till two in the morning most nights when I was working um so I was eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating so I just got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger um and because you're stationary you don't move and it's very isolating you don't meet people and the stories kind of get into your brain. So I've kind of adapted now. I write for three, two hours and I have to set a timer to stand up and move um, and get out and walk and fresh air and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's Monday to Friday. I will clock in my 30-something hours. But sometimes my different projects, there's like six projects on the go. So sometimes I'll park a project and I'll leave it for the week and then I go back and look at that draft. And then I'll come back. I, I couldn't just stay on the one thing all the time because your brain gets too consumed in it. But um, that's just my process. I know lots of other people would just say that's mad. They have completely different. But it, I have to work around my lifestyle because I have to stop then at 3 o'clock because that's when the kids come home. So then I have to start then again maybe at 9 if I don't get enough done. So it's just you work around your lifestyle and that just works for me. Great, thank you. And Ken, same question to you. Um, yeah, tell us a bit about how you um, got into your career as a writer and what your writing day may or may not look like, um, depending on what day of the week it is. Yeah, sometimes it does depend on what day of the week it is. Um, yeah, my uh, writing day is probably a little bit different than yours in that I usually do anything I can think of to avoid writing <coughs> until I run out of time. And then I sprint towards the finish, usually with five minutes to spare before me. I do. I know. In, in having said that, I do spend a lot of time working. Like I'm neurodiverse, so I spend a lot of time working stuff out in off in the ether somewhere. And I think that's where I do most of my work. Um, I I found as well that you could spend sometimes. This is mad, but you could spend you know five hours sitting at your desk trying to figure something out. And I discovered I get more done on the bus sometimes, just in my head. And. Um, how did I get into? I got into writing. Um, I started off um, from a working class background. I didn't really know how you got into writing or, or, or you know, screenwriting or TV or anything like that. And after doing lots of de dead end jobs, I uh, trained to be an actor. Did that for a while, 
And then I just, the thing for me was I just didn't really, wasn't really into the stuff that I was doing. I just didn't really, couldn't really identify with, with, you know, the plays that I was doing and all that. So in the end, I start writing my own stuff and producing that myself, just in, in fringe festivals and in bars and stuff like that. Um, I won a writing award then, and I started getting commissions. And it really did, just from, it was just basically my own, I developed my own voice and then just kept, uh, you know, plugging away at it. Um, so I moved into, th I had a player in the, in the Abbey, and I, Orty approached me and asked me to develop a TV series. Uh, so I did that, and that was broadcast, I think, for 15 years ago now. So I, I still, like, I work, it, it, I kind of go between theatre and TV. I'm doing a lot of playwriting at the moment. Um, I also work for RTE, like Jennifer, on, on Fair City. Um, and it's basically, I kind of fell into it, to be honest with you. But I've always been into writing. Um, yeah, I just didn't know how to, initially didn't know how to get into it. He says modestly. Um, and this is what you learn from writers. We totally underplay um, our own successes and our own talents. Um, so, yeah, pick up on those cues when you're listening to what the panel aren't telling you about their careers. Uh, Robert, same question to you. Thanks. Um, yeah, for me, I guess it kind of varies a lot depending on what stage of the creative process it's at. Um, for example, like first draft for me, can it does get a little bit obsessive i think if it's going well in particular i'd be kind of like worried about losing the tread so i just kind of keep going and trying to push push through so those days it can be fairly full on and i'm writing in every spare moment but then after that you know it it's it's quite difficult i suppose to balance everything because similar to um everyone else like uh spoke so far you know i've a production company and that's kind of where we kind of make we make some of our income through screenwriting, but like some of it is definitely through, you know, our videography and various other things we do through the company. So that's quite a lot. And even just the admin of directing and producing is quite a lot. Like it's a huge amount of emails, huge amount of Zooms, email uh, constantly. So in those latter parts, yeah, it's, it's finding the time. Um, but it, yeah, like, uh, for me as well, it does have to sometimes problem solve and can't be forced either. So sometimes it can be a, a case of of waiting for that idea to bubble through, like even just removing yourself from thinking and nearly your subconscious can sometimes kind of come up with with solutions for you. So that's kind of what it, it looks like. Ideally, when I have a free week, I'd love to just write in the morning, like before I've had any exposure to the internet if possible um it's just i don't know I, I find it totally your mind's just able to focus in a different way before you've seen the usual uh stream of everything so um i try to do that in the morning and then i'll, I'll usually kind of do more uh technical style editing that sort of stuff and rewriting um later on in the day great i'm Ashley. um i started to write actually because i wanted to make films. I mean, I'm a director primarily, <clears throat> um, although I have written, you know, quite a lot now. But actually, that's why that's how I started writing at film school. Um, I was really encouraged by a wonderful um, Scottish director um, who came to the school to tutor some slightly more difficult people, including myself, um, to kind of get us to write. So that's how I started. And I wrote my graduation film and then I wrote, you know, uh, uh, 
please. the script for my first feature film. You just sort of kept going. Um, that's the format that I tend to think in, you know, 90 pages, 100 pages. Although I have collaborated on, you know, television series and, and so on. So I understand, you know, all of that. But um, I suppose it's the... If I'm directing, I'm directing and I can't do anything else. So let's say I'm in pre-production on, on, a, on a film, whether I've written it or not, um, uh, then that's all consuming and that's what you know, you're know you doing. And if you're filming, you're filming and that's it. So I then start to kind of, when I get into the cutting room and you have, usually when you've shown the cut to, say, the producers and you think, okay, I kind of, we now know what, this is then I start to think about what the next thing is that you know I, I might want to do and I start to you know work on that I do an awful lot of research on things um, I find some little snippet and I go actually that's you know really interesting or I find a book that I like you know I've got the rights of something that I've you know two books that I've adapted but my day typically and you know and obviously since COVID there's like you know I'm afraid to open the kind of bureau drawer where my stuff is some mornings I think it'll all kind of jump out at me but normally my you know my days because I live in London for uh, people who don't know and in my little area the coffee shops open at about seven and so what I have to do is leave my house go out and have a coffee read the newspaper I might print off what I've written the day before so as I can reread it and hand because I still like to write a lot by hand and hand sort of uh, edit it so when I come back into the house I sit at the desk and I do that and then suddenly I'm away because otherwise like yourself I'd be there thinking I need another cup of coffee or to bring you know the dog for a walk and I got a dog actually recent that really sorts out my day because I have three and a half hours a bit like yourself to, you know, and then I have to bring him out, which is actually a really good thing because I'd sit there for hours and end. I mean, I've been there kind of, you know, doing an all-nighter. Like, <laughs> you're there going, oh, the producers, I promised them this tomorrow. I, where I've written until 6.30 in the morning and press the send button. You know, we've all been... It depends on what it is. You know, some of the things I've written are people go, God, how do you write something that's, you know, so sort of dark? But it's not that because you're writing it and then when I finish the first draft, which is the slog for me, um, and then I kind of get to the end of that and I think, now I know what that's about, then I kind of start to have quite a nice time with it. And I don't think like a writer, I think like a director writing. So my own scripts are never precious to me, even when I get it. If it's written by somebody else, of course it is, because you've got to understand. And then, you know, a lot of my days also are spent working with writers. So... I'm in very, very early prep on a film. And so I've quite, um, you know, have enough money to make the film. So the conversation with the writer is, you know, to try, we're going back into the script to try and kind of finesse things. So that's my day that starts at about half six in the morning, God knows whatever time. It is. And it's seven day. I've now stopped working on a Saturday desperately trying to not do anything and not even look at emails um, because once you get onto the email thing, suddenly three hours have passed. Anyway, yeah. Great. I wish you could teach my cats to help me with my productivity. <laughs> cats just tend to like sleep on your keyboard and stop you from working instead of encouraging you to hit your deadlines. 
So, yeah, obviously, you know, we've got a short screenplay award, so I want to talk about short films a little bit. Sinead, I know you've made a short, um, a couple of shorts. I'm not sure about the rest of you, but I guess sometimes we can talk about shorts and just, you know, I think some people kind of see them as a stepping stone to a bigger project. You know, you hear this phrase used a lot these days of like a proof of concept. But is that... Is that the point of shorts? Or I guess I always feel like a short should be a thing in and of itself. And in the same way, I don't think we see short stories as being a proof of concept for a novel. They exist in and of their own right. So I just love to kind of have a chat about shorts, our experiences as a panel with writing and working on shorts, how helpful they can be to our careers, and also are they essential? as um, a writer starting out. So Sinead, it's going to go to you first. Well, my first short won the Catalyst Best Drama. Best Excellent. Short. <laughs> there you go. Told you, Susan. Paddy. Um, so <clears throat> for me, I've sat through horrific feature films that I paid money to go and see and I walked out the door going, oh, I'll never get that two hours of my life back and I've watched 15-minute shorts that have kept me awake for days afterwards, that have made me cry, that has, I've walked away saying I'll never think about that again in the same way, and it caught me in 15, 20 minutes. Um, and I think it's way harder to write a short. <laughs> I think yeah. it's incredibly difficult because you have to get this whole essence of a story in a very condensed way, like, you know, more than I hate log lines and synopsises and I could spend weeks trying to get those 25 damn words right. I could sit down and I could write 30 pages in two days. So for me, brevity is really, really hard. But I think shorts are really, really good because it trains you into getting to the heart of what your story is without the padding and the everything else that a feature or definitely TV <clears throat> which I'm most experienced in, but I think I think shorts now, especially, I was in a school recently and um, I asked a group of kids, they were all 15, 16, I said, what was the last TV drama you watched? And nobody put their hand up. Because they said they take too long. Their attention spans are so short. And I said, what are you watching? We're watching TikToks, YouTube videos. It's short, 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 short. And it kind of worries me in a way <laughs> that they're losing the attention span for a proper a long story. But I can understand in another way that lives are really busy and really fast. So if there was a thing there that, yeah, I'm only going to commit 20 minutes and I'm going to be really entertained, I think there's an absolute need for that. Um, so I think short films are, are here to stay. And I think, um, are they, I think the world of TV and the world of shorts are different worlds like I came back from series mania in France which is just all around TV and the people there are not in the shorts world they're not they know nothing about it they don't go to shorts they're not feature films different I think it's a different world I think they will very much go into the shorts world and they'll pick up I met a girl over there who was Oscar nominated for her short a Lebanese girl um, and she you know she's now gotten <clears throat> option on her first feature off the back of her short um, uh, so, yeah, I think 100%, I think it can um, definitely level your career that way. But I think they should be standalone, even though Every Five Miles was <clears throat> was written as a short and it is going into series, but that wasn't the intention. The intention was that it was standalone. So I think if you can get the heart of a story in 
in 15 or 20 minutes, I think, um, yeah, I think it's uh, a really good challenge and a difficult, very difficult feat. Great, thank you. Ken, what about you? Have you done shorts? Um, no, I, but I, I just really make a point, Jennifer, that I, did, I started up writing plays and I guess that really was um, my shorts. I, I love shorts personally and I've got a 17-year-old who watches everything on his phone and he doesn't watch anything longer than... Like, they really don't. Um, but just a couple of things about plays is that... Because I think it's... Personally, for me, from my own experience, I think it's, you know, the more for me that I developed my own voice, that was the thing that changed things for me, was actually developing um, just a, a voice that was probably, you know, that no one else has, and we all we all have our own voice. But just getting in touch with that and then... I think learning to trust it, to trust your voice, and also I think learning to trust your voice, you know, the courage to trust your voice when lots of other people are telling you wildly conflicting things sometimes, just to be able to, you know, in a way that, that's, that's cooperative and that, you know, we all get on and we all work together, but just being able to hang on to your own, your own little, you know, steering wheel for that as well. Um, and I think, and the other thing I, I learned about plays as well is that, you know, you get a really great, particularly if it's your own work, which I was doing my own work a lot uh, in front of audiences, not so much now, um, but you get a real feel for audiences, you know, and it's, a, you want to learn how to edit, stand, stand in front of an audience, performing something you've written yourself, because you can hear them if they stop listening, you know, and you, right, I'm not fucking, that line's going for a hop, or that paragraph, or that page is going for a hop, as soon as I get, you know, that it really is. Um, and then just the other thing is I've done a lot of story writing um, for TV. And again, just with story writing, it's, it is just like you were saying, it's a, it's, it really is about brevity. And look, it, now my plays, like I write the dialogue last. Like I really just really, really work very hard with the story for ages and ages and ages and going back to it and going and structure and and then, you know, the dialogue and all the aspect of it kind of sits on top of the... It's a bit like a joke, you know, like a joke has an internal structure and you can tell it 20 ways, but once you preserve the internal structure, the joke, you know, will will, will work on some level. Um, and that's basically, I think, I hope some of that's useful. Great. No, it really was. And I think you brought up a great point about voice and that kind of authenticity of voice. And I think that is... You know, when you're reading scripts or when you're looking for kind of writers to collaborate, it's that, like, authentic voice that stands out. That's the thing um, that kind of grabs your attention. And I think it's so important. I guess that's one of the ways where short films can be really helpful because as a writer, it gives you a chance to kind of do that calling card script and show um, the kind of stories that you want to tell and that you have the capacity to tell. So, Robert, what about you? Have you done shorts? What's been your experience? Yeah, yeah, I made um, two shorts um, before we made our first feature there last year. Um, so I'd echo that totally. Like, we used them totally just to discover the voice, the world, the teams. And once we hit that, and, you know, uh, we made our second short film, Drifting. Um, so it was set in a very similar world to the film we went on to make in the feature. Different story, but it had a lot of parallels, a lot of visual uh, components that were similar as well and it was great for us to discover that and you know to see it travel well on the festival circuit and see people connect and kind of give us confidence then to push forward with the feature but it was also like hugely beneficial in acting nearly as a proof concept in terms of 
when you're having meetings with funders and so on, you were able to even even just in the initial email, you could give your trailer to your you know your short and show that you'd you'd made this and like we we immediately found like we had a better response rate and everything like that and it was you were able to explain what it would look like and if you know you can with the equipments now you can shoot a short that looks like a a feature will look and so it's 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 great for opening doors that way and you know that helped with us getting into the conversations that helped us piece together the funding for uh, our feature so yeah i think they're definitely really worthwhile I've never made a short. Um, I mean, we made, no, I, I tell a lie. We did a couple of sort of group things at film school, and then I made a, a film actually that ended up being 75 minutes long. So, um, in, the, in you know, that 10 or 12 minute format is very frightening. And I agree. I think some of the most, I've seen some incredible shorts over the years. Um, and I suppose. You know, it is an art form in itself, you know. It's like the short story, which are wonderful and shouldn't be anything else. And we love them because they're that, and and we love novelettes because they're, you know, maybe 120 pages or whatever it is. So there's an art form that are, you know, that is the short film, and there's amazing festivals around the world that, you know, celebrate that. If we want to go on to make feature films, um, either as writers or as writers, directors, or directors, then there's a point where we have to stop making short films. And, you know, you made, you know, you've, you've made two or you've made three, and then you need to kind of think, how am I going to kind of move? This is, you know, it does show my voice. Sometimes, you know, you've written and directed it, or you've written it and you've worked with another director, and so it's the team of you. I, I'm not sure how one kind of separates that but the, you know somebody will have seen your short at say this festival or in Galway or Cork or whatever and go actually I'm kind of interested in that you know person you need to kind of move along to if that is your if that's what you want to do you know if you want to make feature films or if you want to get into making television and television series um, then there's a point where you have to say okay my mates will come out with me for a weekend to make my short film and that's great and my pals who are actors I'm actually going to ask them for four weekends and I'm going to make a long form. You know, you've also got to see, are your ideas, what? how do you get, you know, from a 15-minute idea that's fabulous because it has to hit every kind of moment to a 90-minute idea that, you know, that you have and how does as you know, yes, we all walk in and out of dreadful films, but how do we get to, you know, that place? And I think that's... Um, you learn, of course you do, and I think for people that need a little bit of confidence, uh, you know, if you're a director who writes, and indeed, as a, you know, to kind of get out there and do it, then I think it's lovely to spend some time with your fellow kind of collaborators and travelers making a short, and then you kind of need to... I'm a real believer in that you have to move on. And for the women in the room, dare I say it, excuse the gentlemen, guys... Honestly, two shorts, you know, because generally you find when you talk to kind of a mixed audience, say if the guys in many feature films, you know, short films, you may say, I made one, then I made a feature film, or made two, then I made a feature film. And you say to the to uh, the women in the room, what have you done? I've made five. Okay. So just you've got to just find that, you know, and it's also collaborating with people and 
being confident about it too. It's like the previous panel we're talking about. That's what it's all about and finding the world that you're interested in, the stories that you're interested in, in telling. No, that was a really important point. And I think, you know, we've seen it. Um, obviously, there was a huge push for gender equality in the industry, particularly coming up to 2020. But what we saw was that a lot of those gender equality initiatives were funneled into low-budget, short films, you know, where and we don't want our female filmmakers and writers to get stuck, you know, at the cheap end of the industry. We want our women to be making those big budget features and having that success. And also, I said this on another talk I did recently for Minding Creative Minds, we also want women to get to a point where we can be mediocre in our careers in exactly the same way that men can be. And I say this with no shade (laughs) to the men in the room. But, you know, we need to move past the point of women having to be spectacular in order to have careers. Um, But I'm going to come back to Ashling because what I wanted to ask next was what the panel think are the key attributes or characteristics that a writer should have in order to be successful in a career in whatever way we want to define that success. But Ashling, I think because as a director, you also work with writers in a different way and kind of get to see writers, I guess, from the outside. I'm really curious to know what your take um, on that is. What do you think um, the attributes beyond knowing how to write? What are the qualities that make for a good writer and a good collaborator? I think you've got to be collaborative and, and open. And most of, you know, the writers I've worked with are that, you know. Uh, you know, writing a play, for example, um, is very different because it's a very, very unique individual piece. It's going to be staged and, and, and you know, and we're going to see it and it's going to be performed maybe in 30, 40 years' time, you know, if it's Beckett or whoever it is. It's a very unique um Script writing and, 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 you know, script development, it's a kind of a blueprint for what you're going to go out to do. So less so maybe with television because it's a tighter kind of format in a way. So you've really, you know, got to be open about um, what, you know, the film is and what you're trying to do and collaborate. I've got to collaborate as a director. The writer's got to collaborate with me. You know, I remember on... On, on Maudie, I remember saying to the writer, you know, we've got to lose the thirst, first 30 pages of the script. We've got to go, we're not interested in it. We're not interested in that part of the story. We haven't the time to tell it. Um, and we had a long discussion about it, and that is actually, you know, what we did. And it's because scripts are developed, and, and, and I'm talking about not short so much, I'm talking about kind of feature films now. You know, Raggy Boy took me 12 years from the time I finished that first draft, 12 years later, I turned over. So in that time, things change, things develop, you get a better idea of something. I think it was a better script in the end because of that time. But you've got to be open to all of that too. You know, things change. And we're not maybe so interested in telling, as with Maudie, her early life as a child, for example in a 90-minute film, we're interested in actually getting into the heart of the film, which is what happens when she meets this guy? What happens when she goes for this job to meet this you know, gentleman, she's gonna, guy she's going to spend the rest of her life with? So we need to, you know, collaboration. And I see it as that blueprint 
to, you know, then you go out and make the film and then you edit the film. You get three chances to make a film, one to write it, one to direct it and one to edit it. And everybody's got to be on that journey. And sometimes, you know, a great idea can come from the production designer, for example, or I go out and I see something. I go out and I look at a location. I think I remember saying to Andrea Gibb, the last writer that I worked with on a film I did for BBC called Elizabeth is Missing. I We were out in Orecki and I saw something and I said, I, could we put this in? Wouldn't it be great to have that scene in the script? And of course she did. So it is that collaborative. We've got to be really collaborative and listen and try and own it too, you know, because uh, I mean, more so in, in, in television, I imagine. I don't know much about the theatre world. You know, there's eight executive producers in L.A., and, you know, you've got to keep them there. Um, and, you know, because you can't afford expensive flights over. But, I mean, you're trying to kind of keep them there. So that's why we've got to be kind of together in our relationship so that when we're on a Zoom call or when we're on a call together, we're all one voice, united. You, you know what I mean? So is that... And it has to be... Re- we're all making the same film. That's what you're trying to do, I think. Same with television. is a little bit more difficult because of the way it's broken down now. You know, there's showrunner and there's all of that. I mean, I've never worked like that. Um, and, and, you know, and that's a different world, you know. And that's why it's important with short films, you know, to kind of... That's the ownership of them and that's the uniqueness of them. You're, you know, this is your voice as a filmmaker. Regardless of what the film is about, sometimes it's very personal, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's a story you found. Um, and so it's... You know, it it, it uh, collaboration is the kind of key thing. You know. And yourself? Yeah. Um, for me, a big one would be, I suppose, just to, to have the drive um, to continuously do it because there's a lot of setbacks, a lot of kind of yeah, kickings along the way, more or less. Um, but yeah, just to kind of, for me, it's. I always have that a bit of a compulsion to do something creative. Uh, it's just kind of a, keeping me balanced. I kind of do that, but just to, I think to keep continuously writing and creating new stuff and showing it and and you know developing that thick skin as well to make it better and to know when there's the truth in it and when sometimes to stand your ground. And I suppose uh, yeah, it's just the, with the writing, the craft. It takes a long time. I think especially. Film scripts, I find they're very, you know, structured. It takes a long time in the feature format to, to get to get get it. So I guess just that uh, that kind of dedication, diligence to to the craft and kind of get better. And Ken, I'm going to slightly reframe the question for you uh, because you work on Fair City and you're very much involved. Mm-hmm in the story room, which is working with a team of writers. Um, and I know that, you know, if people aren't familiar with soap, soap is a different beast um, in and of itself. So my question to you is, what are the key attributes um, to survive as a writer in the world of soap? Thanks, Jennifer. Um, well, I just think, I think just to go over what, what everyone's been saying, I think the, for me the biggest thing about, you know, surviving in, in television is... Um, Number one, I think, you know, if you get, it gets, if you can get good at writing fast, is 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 really important. It's actually really important because things change quickly, change without warning. They change all the time. Like every day, does does it? You know, there's always an issue. There's always something that comes up every day. Someone's so that you know. It's and I do believe personally in 
I'm not saying the 10,000 hours, but I do think the more just, you know, the more we make writing part of our muscle memory, that you can do it, you know, you can just write stuff without even having to think about something. Just, is, 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 you know, and you just, like, I got that from just, from, just from the hours that I print, probably. Um, I found with stories, sorry, Jennifer, I'm going to point, but I found with stories that if, that if I'm, any kind of a story that I'm working on, I kind of stopped writing stuff down in terms of stories about 10 years ago. Because I discovered that if I can remember it without writing it down, it means it has an internal logic. Um, and I think that's... And then... I don't know if I said... I don't, don't take anything personally at the end of the day. Like, for TV is a machine and all kinds of things happen. Sometimes we don't even know why something's happened. Um, but that's just the reality of that. And, you know, and, and obviously be a people person, collaborate... Um, Take your notes graciously. Like I personally, if someone if someone has a cut for me, I'm very grateful because it's it's always better when you cut it. You know, if you can cut it, it, it you're making it better. Um, and you know, have a bit of humility and try to get on with everybody because we're all just trying to get to the end. You know, we're all just we want to go home as well at some point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, sorry, John. And Sinead, um, just again a slightly different twist on the question for you, because you um, had an incredible experience as I guess a relatively new writer getting to work on some primetime shows like Smother and Hidden Assets. Um, so like, what did you learn, I guess, from being in those writers' rooms and those teams about like, yeah, what the key attributes were for writers to be successful on those shows? <clears throat> I think... I think it's a very different approach I have, depending on whether you own the IP or not. So those shows aren't your IP. So they were already existing shows <clears throat> where the storylines storylines had already been developed. Like Smother was season three. There was two seasons before that, so the characters were already established. So they already had their voice, and you were going into a show that had a following and quite a big following, an international following. So you were kind of picking up and then there was writers in the room that had been part of season two. So they were already a step ahead of you. So you had to literally just watch the shows over and over and over and listen to the dialogue in particular. So you had to get your lead, lead actor's voice. Like she wouldn't use that word. She wouldn't use that word. She dresses a certain way. She poses a certain way. And what Ken was saying, <coughs> you have to be so fast. You have to turn those pages over. There is no time for, oh, I just want to get to know. They're like, are you kidding me? Draft one is in by this date. Draft two, then the rewrite, then the rewrite, then another rewrite. And then you get a call saying, we've got to do calls on Saturday evenings. We've got to do calls on Bank Holiday Monday because, the, you know, and especially when there's so many co-pros. So there's so many commissioners involved. So it's BBC want to read the draft, then RTE want to read the draft. Hidden Assets, it's Canadians and Belgians and RTE. So it has to go to all those different exec producers who will all send you back notes. And then the script editor will send you back notes. So then you've got to digest all those notes. And can you have the rewrite done in a week? And you're like, oh, Jesus, mother of God. So it's, it's fast. I cannot explain how fast it is. And I think from coming from, you know, I did a short with BBC which was on the writer's room, and that was lovely because you had the time and you could kind of change it and do a bit of this and be a bit artistic. And then you write a draft for Hidden Assets. They're like, you can't say that. That's nonsense. And you're like, oh, my God, it's not my show. And you're like, you, you, you are limited because it's not your show. 
And you have to be very much, you know, your pecking order is there. And it's Peter McKenna's show or it's Kate O'Reardon's show. And that's rightly so. It was their IP. So you're just there. And I think the greatest thing about it was the script editing process. So you're sitting in a room and you've got the whiteboard and you're beating out those six episodes. Like Smother was crazy. It was done in five months. Um, and you're beating them out, you know, your end of ep hooks and your, you know, your turning points around the ad breaks and all of that. So that was a real eye opener as to how TV and then how to get in your thriller beats. And for hidden assets, we had to obviously, I didn't know anything about criminal assets bureau or laundering money. <laughs> I do now. <laughs> if anybody needs money laundered. So we had like, you know, experts come in and tell us these amazing stories and we'd kind of like seed little ideas out of it. And so you had to learn the dialogue of crime and, and police procedural, which I'd never done before. So yeah, the writer's rooms were a massive, massive learning curve for me on writing very, very quickly. Um, but also, you know, your passion is your own IP. We love other people's children, but we love our own more. <laughs> so it is that whole piece. And I would always say for writers is, you know, we talk about executive producers. If you're going into TV or features and you're the writer and you're not the director, make sure you're the executive producer. Because I have heard some stories of the writer. Just, you're just the writer. And it's lovely if you get into a collaborative room. That's just the dream. And I'm very lucky that my the directors I've worked with, it has been that, like with Ashton's experience. But I've also heard stories of, you're just the writer now. Thank you very much. We've optioned your script and go away. And uh, I think those days are changing massively. I think a lot of writers now are where exec producing. So they want to have a collaborative say in the cast, in the edit. Um, and it's just ensuring that you have that creative voice throughout the process. I think that was a real learning curve for me as well. Thanks, Sinead. And I will just say with my Writers Guild hat on, that whole idea of writers being executive producers. In the States, they use the phrase showrunner. It's not really a thing in Europe, but that is absolutely something that we are pushing um, and advocating for and expect to hear a lot more about that this year. Ken, you wanted to add something else in there. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll just say a really quick story, but just about the way how quickly things change and dealing with broadcasters and all the kind of stuff. Um, the show that I, that I developed at RT uh, was called Legend, and it was commissioned as eight 26-minute episodes. And uh, as we were going into production, I got a phone call one day to say that they, they didn't want eight 26 minutes anymore. They wanted six 46 minutes instead. So that was grand, you know. That's another couple of stories Fran's going through there straight away. And then as we were going into production, like literally going into production, they, I got a phone call and it, it just, basically it was, couldn't actually stretch them to 52 by any chance, could you? And we, and we did and we, we wrote it in production. But, you know, like I think as well, the difference between 26 minutes and 52 is colossal. I mean, you need at least seven storylines for it. You probably need more now, but... You know, it, I, um, you know that's, and we had to just do it. And did they pay you any extra? They did actually. I think, <laughs> I think you know, but um, it was funny because you would get phone calls going. You know, um, this we're shooting all the scenes that we're shooting in the church. The priest has something on this evening, so he's not giving us the church after five o'clock. So can you take those four scenes and just do something else with them instead? Put them outside. So you know, and 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 by the way, we're waiting for them. Do you know what I mean? So, um, so yeah, that is that is is a, a big part. It's just the, the, 
the changes and all the, you know, there's so many different things that you've got to try and do at the same time and keep everybody happy and stay sane. Sane is, is an important part of that. But yeah, I think it's that resilience, that adaptability, that ability to take a note or a big change like that and smile and go, of course I will, and then go and get onto your WhatsApp group or voice note somebody and just go, oh my God, <laughs> and say what you really want to say and you can't say um, in those meetings or on those calls. So the next question I want to ask is, and obviously diversity is at the absolute, don't worry, Susan, I was coming to it, <laughs> at the absolute forefront of Catalyst, but also of you know the film and television industries that we work in. I think there's a real understanding that we can't just tell, you know, white male middle-class stories anymore. But I'm wondering, as writers, you know, we can we can be more aware of the stories that we write, but of course, you know, there are nuances there in terms of, you know, should we tell other people's stories when they're not our stories to tell? I think there's a danger now that everyone feels like they've got to write their diversity script um, instead of writing actually an authentic um, and true story. So my question to the panel is, how do we as writers support and encourage diverse voices and diverse um, stories in our industry? So Sinead, you've got the mic. I'm going to start with you. We all talk about diversity, but I think... What we're not talking about is socioeconomic class. And I think that there's amazing storytellers out there from certain backgrounds who would never have the confidence to come into this room. Um, They don't have the internet. They don't have laptops. um, But they have amazing stories. Um, So I think... Class barriers are nearly as big an issue. Um, you know, I have a friend who's a very successful US writer, and she says, you know, I'm a black female writer of a certain, you know, I, I've climbed the career and everything, but she said, I came from a very privileged background. My father was working in production. I got in the door here, there, and everywhere. And she said, you know, but people say, oh, the diversity, it's great to see you. And she said, I laughed. She said, I went to frickin' Harvard. But just because I'm back, people think it was the diversity tick. She goes, no. She says, it's the poor kid down the road who left school at 14 who's white. He needs to get in the room, but no one's looking at him. Um, so I think if we really want diverse voices, we need to bring in those people living in communities um, and and support them to tell their stories. And I don't believe that, you know, I met Ron Lesham over in 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 France, and and we had a conversation about this. You know, can can you only write a certain story if you are from a certain community or a certain background? And he said, I was in my mid thirties, Israeli man who wrote Euphoria. <laughs> Teenagers in high school in America, and he said people were like, Oh, you have to be a teenager in America to write about. He goes, Bullshit. He said, you have to have empathy. And if you have empathy and you're fascinated by that world, and he said, to me, that world was so alien and it was so unusual and so different to anything he ever grew up in 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 Tel Aviv. He said, that's what drew me to tell that story because I have empathy for those characters. And I think that's more important, I think. But I really think that we're missing out on the the class conversation in this industry. Um it's uh, yeah, it's a very hard door to break down if you're from a certain background, I, in my experience anyway. And Ken? 
Um, yeah, I don't really know how to follow that. It's, yeah, I think it's a really important point, the socio-economic thing. I, I grew up in a council house, and you know, probably I was one of those people who wouldn't have had the confidence to be in this room. Um, I'm also neurodiverse, and I don't write about that, really. I think it's probably... I don't know, it's probably... You know, I do write for my own... When I'm writing my own stuff, I do write for my own, you know, sense of the world, and most of my characters that I write about me, they kind of do live off the grid anyway, because uh, I'm interested in people. But I see, you know, I still live in Tala, and it's very, uh, it's a very mixed kind of area in many, many ways. But I, I, I do think it would be great to find ways to get, you know, people who wouldn't gravitate, who would have great stories to tell, but wouldn't gravitate towards... They don't even, like, like, you know, people don't realise that, you know, you can get a job working in TV, or you can get a job as an actor, or you can, you know... Um, and just making it, it's it is quite tricky, I think, to get people involved. Um, and I don't know what the answer to it is. Because I never knew there was a career called screenwriting when I was a teenager. I didn't know they even existed. Like I never, when I went to school, if I said to my parents I was going to be a screenwriter at seventeen, my father would <laughs> kick my ass. He goes, "What? That's not a proper job. That's what rich people do." That's what, you know, people that have money, they go off and they can do these lofty things. You do, uh, what are you, you're going to be a teacher or a nurse or a something, you know, a, 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 that's not a career. And when I go into schools where I'm from and I say, how many of you would ever think about being writers? They start that. They're like, that's for ye people out there. It's not for us. I think that's really sad for me personally. I, I just, yeah. So I don't know how to, I don't know what the answer is, but. Yeah. No, it, it, it's very tricky. Yeah, and look, we are not going to come up with the solution in this panel, but I think it is just so important for us to have the conversation, you know, to think about our responsibility as writers. And then I think the second part of the question is also what does the industry need to do better? And of course, I'm very conscious as being the chair of the Writers Guild that, you know, we have um, both a responsibility, but also an advantage that we can lobby the industry on behalf, um, you know, we can lobby the stakeholders and the funders on behalf of writers and, you know, to put pressure on the industry to do the things that they need to do better and to open those doors. And class is absolutely part of diversity. I think there's no question. So I'll pass the question on to you as well. Yeah, um, like, I mean, I think just an escalation of the work that's been started recently would be a great starting point and to, you know, just escalate that and bring it up further you know it's a big part of of our details of our company at the moment um i know derek ugachu who uh, was a past winner here he's a good friend of ours we recently produced his focus short pediment which is a really powerful exploration of all of this and uh, we're also working with trevor kane swarren who's a sri lankan irish actor writer uh, who's from longford as well and yeah, he's we're developing that with Screen Ireland at the moment, a TV show that he's working on. So it's a big part of our ethos, and yeah, uh, it's re- it's really important to us, and I think it should be only um, escalated and brought forward. And we'd also love to, as a Longford-based company, we'd love to see Midlands-based work as well. You know, we're from a very small town where there's like two pubs, and that's it. And so we'd love to see more because there's never any arts outlets for us growing up. So. That's a, a thing we'd love to see as well. Yeah, I think, um, I do think class has a huge part to play. You know, when I went to live in England in 1980 uh, as a 
young Irish woman, you know, at, at film school, you say to me, uh, what are you saying? Kind of, I have no idea what you're saying, you know. And I was very lucky that I was kind of on the inside, but slightly outside. I was at school with, you know, very graduates of Oxford and Cambridge. And, you know, there were a couple of people from the Polytechnics and a couple of lads from Glasgow that sort of, you know, uh, was nice. But you see it throughout and, and one is starting to, you know, you're starting to kind of see it here too, you know. If, you know, a working class actor, for example, it's much more difficult to get a role because actually that's what you're seen as in not seen, you know, if you're a middle class or, you know, posh uh, boy, girl actor, then you can play anything. Um, and so that is, it's also, we've got to be very careful, you know, because, you, you know, we all have this notion we can go out into these communities and they, what I think we have to do is actually open the door and say to people, you know what, if you want to come in and kind of join us here, you're very welcome. You have to make that step in a sense yourself, but you have to know that it exists. I knew that I knew that filmmaking existed when I was 16 or 17 um, uh, because I went to art school and, you know, we started to make films. Did I know there was a career in it? No, I didn't. No one ever said, okay, this is what you do when you finish art school. I want to be a painter. Nobody said actually you know, that that was a job either. So you sort of found your kind of way in it. And I joined this industry when it really didn't exist hugely in this country. It's come on kind of hugely. But diversity in every way, you know, this country has changed so much in the last 10 or 15 years. And there's so many people from all diverse backgrounds that have, you know, their stories to tell. Um can I tell somebody's story? I told the story of Raggy Boy because those institutions, because nobody else was doing it at the time. And I read that book and I thought, you know what, somebody's got... I did the same with the Magdalene Laundries. I did... I, you know, one could say the same about a little outsider artist in Canada. What was I doing in kind of Nova Scotia three years ago? Because nobody else would probably have brought that story to the world. So, But we've got to be... I'm very aware of that if I'm doing it. I'm very conscious of it's the only time, maybe the only chance to tell the story. I spend years doing research. You know what I mean? You're trying to kind of get, and and including everybody, but I, I'm, I'm kind of moving away from the point. But there is, um, you know, so much diversity in this country now that we have to, you know, recognize and encourage. And I mean, that's why I do these things. And, you know, to it's amazing the people you meet. Derek, actually, gorgeous Derek, was a, I mentored him on, on something. And I remember saying to him, you've got to go direct your own film. That's what I like, you know, say to people and I encourage them along the way. And, and believe, some of the uh, ladies on the earlier panel, you know, just believe in yourself. We've got to believe in ourselves. Do we believe in ourselves in, you know... Um, a council house, I'm not insulting anybody, way out that, you know, has 20 quid a week coming into the house and people are, you know, hungry and about to be kind of kicked out. No, we don't. But that is not to say that, you know, people don't understand you can be an astronaut. They don't understand you can be, you know, musician, all of these things, all of these stories. And it's to find a way to enable those people to be able to tell the stories they want to tell, whether it's in the form of a play or short stories or films or whatever it is, and actually open the door and say, listen, you know, everybody's 
kind of welcome here. You just got to be encouraged to kind of cross over that threshold in a way by people like us, you know, meeting people and saying, listen, you know, you can, casting somebody who's maybe wouldn't have the opportunity. I try now, because I'm a little bit more experienced, to try and cast a newcomer, somebody who's never done it. I don't care if they've never been in a film or never, you know, maybe out of drama school or actually haven't done that much acting. Um, to give them a part, a scene or two scenes, and my responsibility is the a lovely actress on something. She had her scene with Glenda Jackson, three minutes. I said, you take that off, you put it on your showreel, you're in a scene with Glenda Jackson, people go, wow, that'll actually probably get you two jobs. That's what we, they're the kind of things that I think are practical. Um, and bringing people along, you know, to say, listen, come out onto set and see what it's like and sit, you know, beside the monitor for an hour and have a cup of coffee. And, you know, we need to be open to all of that. Whereas filmmakers, we tend not to be sometimes, you know. Thank you so much. That was a really excellent point. And actually, I just wanted to say as well, I think listening to the previous panel was so inspiring. And I think not just the future of the industry, but actually the present of the industry um, is looking incredibly bright and, you know, incredibly diverse and incredibly accomplished. And if there's anything that we can do as the Writers Guild to help any of the writers on that panel or any of the writers in this room, please do come and talk to us um, because that is exactly what we're here for. Um, so I think you've heard quite a lot from us um, and I want to open up to questions from the audience. And the first people who are going to get to ask their questions are the shortlisted writers because I wanted to give them all a chance um, to ask a question to the panel. So, Amy Joyce, over to you. Hi, thanks. Um, sorry, I'm so husky. Uh, Sinead, I just want to ask, you know, when you go to panels at film festivals, and I think a lot of people in the audience always want the, um, how, the, the joining of the dots of how do you, and I have two children, three and under, you know, um, and I find I'm actually being more productive now because I have such limited time windows, but just how do you go from working in that incredible job in child protection services and in four years go from two short films to writer's room on primetime shows, like join the dots for me and part B of that same sort of question is, um, Presuming that you were sort of self-taught, uh, was there a sort of brilliant textbook or manual that ha had the difference in structure for serial, serial television drama that is your go-to sort of Bible for kind of the difference between, say, a feature, a short, and that? So that's a two-part question. Um, I think the biggest learning experience for me was getting a script editor attached. Um, I got a... The Galway Film Centre, which is now Ardon, had a scheme for the West of Ireland writers. Mm -hmm. And they gave you a mentor, but the mentor was a script editor. So you went in with just kind of a concept. And I got a really great script editor called Ariel Gottlieb, who's Canadian, but she's now um, VP with Federation in the UK. But she had script edited on Dublin Murders and on a lot of things. And she actually practically taught me how to do TV structure. And she took what I had written and she said, this, this isn't a TV project. So she taught me about the end of Ep Hooks and about the thriller beats and about the dialogue. And so she taught me through and I had been trying to read the books and I, they, they just weren't making sense to me. 
And I think it's when I got the script editor to practically explain in the body of a script, then I got it. It started clicking. And then I got the BBC writer's rooms and I started downloading scripts and scripts. And then I started testing myself going, can I find the different places in the script where this happens? So then I started going to see the cinema and then I started, my husband was going mental and I was like, I bet you now something's going to happen. It's hitting 13 pages. He goes, will you shut up? I goes, see, told you. And he was like, oh my God, you're so taking the joy out of it. Um, so the structure can be taught. Structure can be taught. But it was just that practice. So I think the script editors for me were absolutely gold in that really, really practical, especially for TV, which is very, very different to features. Um, and the how I think it was schemes like the Galway Film Centre mentoring scheme and then the Spotlight scheme, um, which was I was on with Derek with Screen Ireland. They really opened doors. And I, I think in, being in Ireland was was what really helped because you don't need an agent. So I started just calling, you know, Treasure Entertainment. I said, I have this this pilot. What do you think? They And they will take it. And they will send it through their development person. It might take months to get back to you. And they really liked it. So I kind of started developing little things with them. And then when Smother came up, they were like, you don't have a TV credit, but we like your work. And would you like a place in the room? But I had a bit of a relationship with them from things. Um, and the same with Hidden Assets. Siobhan Burke just rang me and said, I know you did Smother. And we've seen some of the stuff you've done with BBC. Would you like to come on the room? And I said, okay. Um, so it was because I had been kind of fostering relationships with organization, with group produ- producers already. If I was trying to do that in the UK, it would have been incredibly difficult. But because in Ireland, um, we're smaller, we can kind of get in that door and foster those relationships, be it with whoever, Vico or Samson or whoever. And then if a room comes up, then it may come up. Now I have an agent now, and then she'll kind of hopefully she's in the UK, so she'll hopefully get me different jobs there. But, um, I think that's how. I think so can I just, did you say you you sent a spec script to Treasure and they are open to reading it? Well, I I, I kind of tried to just have conversations with their head of head of development first, and just I didn't send the spec. I mean, what prior, I would always do prior is prior to having a relationship, you just reached out. And I just reached out and just said, "Hello, I'm a writer. This is my name. This is what I. This is the genre I'm interested in," and then waited until they said, "Send me something," because they they won't and they they won't read pilots. They won't read scripts three pages <laughs> send me a one pager or send me a three and then if they like the one pager send me a three pager if they like the three pager send me the treatment if they like the treatment then send me the pilot um so yeah i just just send out emails and said this is what i've done this is my background and can we so it's all about relationships it's just about relationships and if they like you and they want to work with people that are easy and they want to work with people that are personable especially for writers rooms and people that aren't precious and people that can take rejection and take notes and not give out and whinge and moan and I, so I think I spent a long time forging those relationships and being kind of a personable person helps, um, if, if they think you are. I hope yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks a million. Hey, um, I've actually, I've got a really nosy question for Jennifer. I don't know if you've, um, if you've read the scripts every year or how involved you've been. It might be more for Susan, but I'm really interested, like this festival, in one way it's wide open and in another way it's so specific, right? But you've been doing it for three years and it's diverse stories. But have you noticed um, any patterns or shifts in the themes that you're getting year on year, like be it scripts or films or both? Oh, that's a really interesting question. It's a hard uh-huh. one. <laughs> <laughs> I think 
and obviously without getting into specifics, um, you know, when everything is red blind and there is no way of knowing who has written anything or, you know, the background of the writer um, or the experience level of the writer, um, I think we're definitely seeing a better understanding of diversity. I think there's less... I'm writing my diversity script and I'm going to shoehorn in some diverse characters. Um, and you can spot those scripts a mile away. Um, you know, and I think what the readers are really looking for is an authentic voice, is a writer who has something different to say, who has something that they are really, really passionate about um, and are writing kind of, even though they may be writing about a world that isn't theirs, they're still writing it from a really authentic place and they're writing the most them version of that script that they possibly can. And those are the stories that stand out and those are the ones that you can then see, even if some of the writers are less experienced, but what you see is a real confidence in the storytelling. Um, and I guess that's what kind of stands out. I think, yeah, there's definitely a better awareness um, yeah, a better um, understanding of diversity. And it's, you know, there's less kind of hitting you over the head with a hammer uh, with diversity stuff. And I think that is all for the good. Did that answer your question? Yep. <laughs> Hi, hello. Um, I really love uh, a lot of the practical advice and information that the panel has given so far. It's hugely helpful. Um, I'm In terms of writing, I'm predominantly entirely self-taught myself so I, I everything I get I absolutely um, treasure so I would love to hear uh, from the panel I, I've heard some bits about how you you know you structure your day and things like not checking the internet first thing in the morning you know with like I would love to hear what do you think is one piece of very practical information about uh, getting your work done that you think like something like do you use a Pomodoro technique or anything like that I'd love to hear if you guys have any particular tricks that you use to sit down and get the job done? Um, I'm going to start with that one just because I'm holding the mic. Um, I think the best way to get your work done is to have a deadline. There is nothing like a deadline for focusing the brain and for making you go, oh shit, I need to get this done. And if that means imposing your own deadlines or applying for competitions or looking at Screen Ireland funding rounds and just going, this is what I'm going to aim for, this is what I'm going to get done... But also, and like Ashling said, she doesn't uh, work on Saturdays. I think that's really helpful too, or to give yourself a day in the week that is about like just thinking about new ideas or creativity and that isn't actually sitting at the laptop and writing. Because I think by doing that, it then also kind of frees you up to be more productive um, when you need to be in productivity mode. And now I'm going to hand this over to any of the panel who want to add on to that. Sure. Um, for me, a big, big, big breakthrough was just learning to be gentle enough with yourself on the first draft and like getting it done. Cause yeah, I just, I used to like get very bogged down with going back and rewriting it and like endlessly in this cycle. But uh, it was just getting this big lump of writing and then you can start to, sh to whittle away at it and, and shape it. And for me, that was, that was huge because you just end up finishing everything then all of a sudden and you have all these, whether it's you end up throwing it away at the end, it's it's something. It's uh, like it, you don't have these little skeletons on your word docs all over the place. So for me, that was that was a big, um, a big discovery, I suppose, that helped me. Yeah, I think it, uh, you know, it depends on if you're doing it all the time. 
you know, if writing is what you do, you know, uh, Monday to Sunday, you know, uh, because a lot of the time, unless you have a structure, and, and that's how I came up with the structure I have, I leave my house at 7 o'clock, I come back at 8 o'clock and I sit down, because you need to start. Um, and if, you know, like me, you're not, it's not something that you're doing all the time. You know, I might be away for six months or in a cutting or whatever, then I have to have that. It takes you a week to get back into something. You know, I come here for like three days. I've now got to get back into something on Monday. You know what I mean? And it, it, it's that structure. And then you just see how you go. You get a good idea of what your day is. You know, are you good in three hours or four hours? You know, there's some days I sit there and write nothing or I write, I think I did really well. And then I kind of, you know, trash it. So... You get a very good idea, you know, are you productive in three hours or four hours? And then that, you know, sometimes people just write for three or four hours and that's it. And then you come back, you know, the next day. But a deadline is a really good thing to have. I don't have them very often. So, and also if you're writing, um, you know, the first draft of something, whether it's a pilot or whether it's, you know, play or, or, or you know, film, it's yours because at, at that point, when you get to 99 pages and you press the send button to your producer or whoever it is, now we're in a different arena. We're in the open and you'll be getting notes. And do you know what I mean? There's a kind of a precious time that you have with it that I'll never let a script go until I can kind of stand by it pretty much, you know, that I feel that's sort of the best I can do at the moment. Now I need somebody else to come in and have a, you know, a conversation. But, but all of us are self-taught. I learned how to write when I was at, you know, at film school. Okay, I had some, you know, one or two tutors and you learned from each other. We're all, you know, it's not something that's kind of existed for that long. Television writing in particular now in this country is quite a new thing. You know, five years ago, there's no such thing as a writer's room. And, you know, that's lovely because you're collaborating with other people in that room. And that is, you know, it's like the very first television I directed. I remember sitting there thinking baby, this is not going to happen. I'm going to be fired, actually, after the first three days. And then I thought, no, actually, everybody else is doing it, you know, because there are another kind of 12 directors of various days. Everybody else is doing it and surviving. So there has to be a way to kind of do So, again, you find your own way that kind of works for you, that you're comfortable doing. You know, if you get up in the morning, you write for, you know, if you're on a deadline, you might have to write for eight hours straight. That's what you got to do. But it's just good that practice, as you know, as you said, you know, every day, every day, every day, writing. It's always easier for me to go back into a second draft or a third draft because I then know what it is, and I know I'm not. Got, I haven't got that slog of starting, even though you've done a treatment, you know, or an outline, depending on on, you know, what it is. And if you're adapting a novel, maybe it's beside you as well. You know, when you get that 90 or 100 pages, it's such, I can't tell you, you kind of, it's such a, you know, you go to bed that night and I think, oh my God, I can kind of sleep now for, <laughs> until tomorrow. But you never have, it never has to go back to that place again if you're lucky and the structure is, is you know, right. Because I work on that basis without really thinking about it, the three-act structure, act one, act two, act three. Sometimes my treatment's on a certain, sometimes for myself, no one else sees it, Act one, act two, act three. So I know where I'm, I have a map where I'm going and I've always got that 15 or 20 pages to to fall back on. And then you can kind of create happily from that. 
you know, it's amazing, as I say, you know, script grows, you know, and suddenly you're kind of, I like longer treatments because I think, well, I'm 20 pages in already, you know, and then, you know, the other, but it's amazing how it kind of develops on. So you've just got to find, you know, your own way with it, you know, and some of us are better at uh, things than others. You know, sometimes you can really be searching for the voice of a character. Do you know what I mean? It can take weeks sometimes. You just got to listen to stuff and find a way to. But it's kind of getting that story down that I think is the thing. Once you, if you work really hard on that pilot or that first hour, you know, the first draft of, you know, play whatever the storyline is, maybe over your um, eight episodes that became six, that then became fifty-two minutes. You can do that because you know exactly, you know, you know what it is, and there's no hard. You just got to kind of figure out for yourself what works best, and we all get stuck, you know. And there's days where I stare at the computer. Yeah, there's always a day. I, I'm conscious that we still have to hear from two other um, of our shortlisted people. So, uh, John. Uh, so my worst habit as a writer is that I have loads of ideas and limited follow through. So I was wondering, uh, aside from deadlines, uh, how do you know which project is the one you should really, really focus on? I think that's a really interesting question. Like, I would would be very like that in that I'd have just millions and millions of ideas all the time. And, like, I think one thing is just try and get, try and record all your ideas and and hang, because there might be two or three years' time that you'll actually go, oh, I remember that now, and that's over there, and you'll find it, and you go, and it'll still, um, and I think as well, like, I believe as well in, in kind of writing through to the other sides of stuff. And, Sometimes that is you don't actually know. Like, I, I, just two really quick things. Like, I do believe in in story structure. I think, you know, if you're aware of, it, if you're not aware of, it, this kind of rules apply, and you can use them unconsciously or consciously. But they kind of the shapes exist, and the more familiar we are with those shapes, then the more it becomes part of your muscle memory, and you don't really have to worry about it too much anymore. But I think writing truth is just like sometimes we, uh, just literally just just write until you are spent almost, and see what, and you don't need, you know. A lot of times I wouldn't know where I'm going with something at all, you know, when it's at the exploratory stage. And just see where, look, I wrote a play, um, working for, and I was walking down through Lucan one day and I just saw a sign for a, a graveyard. And I went, oh, I think there's a play in there. <laughs> and there actually was. But I just, I didn't know what that play was. Um, but I just kept going at it and going, and, you know, tipping away and jotting stuff down and expanding it. And, and not really, and then I kind of got my first draft. And that was only really when I start, when I start working on it. Then I was like, oh, I've got all this. And then I start putting the shape on it, and um, and that's kind of fun because you don't really know where you're going. But you can only do that when you don't have a, a deadline hanging over you, as well. You know, oh, the deadlines are another really good way of getting stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, I think it's one of the things I learned is um, I wouldn't go trying to write six scripts or seven scripts um, because even when you go to somebody and they give you a pass and like, look, we're all getting pa- way more passes than we are ever getting yeses. Um, they'll say, and what else have you got? And what else have you got? And what else have you got? Um, so it's to have, like, I have probably about maybe six or seven. Some of them are one pagers. Some of them are fully fledged pitch decks. Might be only maybe one or two scripts inside there because you're just going to say, like, we're going to put as much time into this if it's not really what the market is looking for at the minute. But I have a deck there so that maybe in a year's time, somebody says, oh, remember that? Have you still got that? So you've got it in your top drawer. 
but you haven't probably invested massive amounts of time in it because you know it's a massive big budget project and it's going to take years to get off the ground. But then your lower, more reasonable one, you know, you might put a bit more time into that one. But I would have your kind of your two to three pager on your passion ideas, your six ones, so that you can talk about them. And if they say, have you got any more, anything else? Yeah, of course I do. You don't. And that's fine because then you'll go home and then you'll do your 10 pager. Um, but you have your three pager there that you can at least talk about, or you can at least send them on the one pager or the three pager. Um, and so, yeah, if, but then it is having your big project been being realistic that that's your passion project and it might be the big, big, long, long one that might sit there for 10 years and then having your more realistic, achievable ones that might get more traction sooner. Um, but definitely have always have a few in your top drawer to talk about. Yeah. Really great advice. Uh, thanks for that, Sinead and Ken. Probably have room. No, we don't have room. I was going to say one question from the audience. Um, so, um, so I think just like my question would be like is sort of like not really an advice question but just because this is something I'm always super curious about whether they're like creative people is there anything you've watched or seen or like read or just any art pieces that you've seen recently that have just like inspired you or made you feel really passionate about it that's just what I'm curious about I saw the David Hockney exhibition in London very recently the immersive one a couple of weeks ago um and I've always sort of loved his work, but it's quite incredible. It's a, I think it's a, you know, it's very close to film. I think it's going to be a new way to see art. Actually, it's a, they've had a few of them. I don't know if they've had. I think they had the Van Gogh here in in Ireland. Yeah. So um, this is in a huge space, and his world just opens up around you. But because he, the last ten or fifteen years, he paints on his iPad, and each layer is saved so you know you start off with this field in Normandy where he lived a lot in lockdown and the little house is drawn it's just extraordinary it's almost like a little movie but that it kind of, I mean I sat there it kind of blew my mind recently um yeah um <laughs> I always go blank on these uh, <laughs> Um, I suppose, yeah, in terms of artwork, I actually discovered a, a photography book by um, an artist or a photographer called Kieran O'Garnold recently, which was all kind of photography from Recession Era Ireland, which would have been kind of my kind of coming of age time, I suppose. And I just found that really, it kind of was a, like a nice visual accompaniment to a lot of my writing. Um, so, yeah, I've been kind of writing with that on my, my lap and my uh, desktop at the moment, and I found it really, really inspiring. I mean, for me, it's totally pop culture. Um, and TV is my art. Um, so I've just finished watching Daisy Jones and the Six. Um, and I am incredibly jealous that I did not get to write on that series. Ken? Oh, God, yeah, I don't know. Um, actually, I read a book recently, which I, it's a real, probably a real train sports book, but I found it quite interesting. Um, and it's called The Science of Story by a guy called Will Storr. It's actually quite an easy read. It's not one of those big, huge, you know those, you go, I'm going to read that, and then you go, I'm not going to read that. I'm never going to be able to read. It's, it's really kind of, like, it's like an airport book. It's a really fast read, but it's actually really interesting because it's just about the way the brain, it's about the science behind the way storytelling works and brain science and that. It's quite interesting, um, but, it, 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 you know, it just talks about 
the way stories affect us and why we tell stories and what stories do for us and all this. So that was probably the most inspiring thing. Uh, Will's story, the science of storytelling. I think for me, it kind of goes back to my day, well, it was my day job. I keep calling it my day job. I keep forgetting I don't do it for the moment. Uh, I worked last summer with a group of Ukrainian kids who come to Clare. I was asked because I'm a trauma specialist and a play therapist, so they asked me to do trauma camps for the summer. And I worked with about a couple of hundred kids across the county, and uh, we did it all through art. And um, we do huge kind of communal ensemble pieces. And um, I told them a story, because I'm a storyteller. And I told them a story about um, Alice in Wonderland. So, because that's a universal story. Every kid knows Alice in Wonderland, no matter where they're from. So we had my translator with me in Russian and Ukrainian. And we told the story of Alice in Wonderland. So I gave them a big, long sheet of paper, loads of artistic materials. And I said, draw me Wonderland. And I left them. Um, so they were all about 11, 12 years old. There was about 14 of them in one of the rooms in Kilki in West Clare. So you imagine you come from Kiev and you end up in Kilki. A bit of a culture shock. And I went back into the room and I saw what Wonderland was to them. And um, I wasn't kind of right afterwards because you had Alice sitting on a cloud and she was crying and there you had the clouds were were not rain, there was red, the red raindrops were red and it was trauma basically. And it was just a whole picture of trauma all built around Alice in Wonderland. And we sat down and I told them a story called the Clada. And I said, do you want to hear a story about when the monster came to this town? And it was a town in Galway and it was called the Clada. And there was a tribe of women who fought them and wouldn't let the monster take their port. And they were like, that's like what happened when my dad is fighting in Ukraine and they won't let them take the whatever. And I says, yes, yes. And I went home and I wrote a treatment called the Clada. And I brought it to France and we pitched it at Series Mania. And it was because of the kids. That's my story. Thank you so much. Uh, What a note to end on. I'm so sorry that we didn't get um, questions from the rest of the audience, but I think those are some excellent questions from the shortlisted writers. So thank you so much um, for thinking of such great questions. Thank you so much to the panel. Uh, You've all been incredible. I know I've learned a lot from listening to you all. I'm sure everybody else um, in the audience has too. And thank you so much to Catalyst uh, for centering screenplays and screenwriters. Thank you. Check out script.ie for more information on the Writers Guild of Ireland. This podcast release has been made possible with the support of Screen Ireland.